0: Chapter 11 of The Campfire Girls at Sunrise Hill This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Sahail The Campfire Girls at Sunrise Hill by Margaret Vandercook. Chapter 11 Under the Rose Moon In June, the moon of the Campfire Girls is known as the Rose Moon, But there were no roses blooming near the camping grounds at sunrise hill tonight and only the odour of the pines made the night air fragrant betty went straight up to miss mcmurtry however and in her hand carried a small cluster of pink roses i brought you these from our garden at home this afternoon the house is closed but our old gardener is miserable because no one is about to enjoy his flowers please wear them then before the older woman could do more than murmur thank you betty had slipped away and taken her place in the circle of girls between meg and esther not without noticing however that their guardian looked unusually well in a dress of plain white serge with her dark hair bound about her head like a coronet also she saw that miss mcmurtry's face had brightened as she placed the flowers in her belt and felt that peace was restored between them even before the beginning of their ceremony of peace the little company had evidently been waiting for the appearance of betty and polly for now miss mcmurtry stepped into the centre of their group and there was instant silence she looked slowly about at the ten faces gazing upon her with rapt attention and then sang in a low tone and yet one that could be distinctly heard this ancient indian chant today our father the sun shone into our lodge his power is very strong tonight our mother the moon shines into our lodge her power is very strong i pray the morning star their sun that when he rises at daybreak he too will shine in to bless us and give us all long life this chant signified the opening of the council fire For the next moment, Miss McMurtry turned toward the heap of wood, carefully placed in the centre of the circle by the wood-gatherers. A little pile of paper with some small chips and dried twigs on top of it lay on the ground, above which leaned a pyramid of larger logs waiting to be lighted. Kneeling close by this pile, the guardian of the sunrise campfire took from her pocket a bit of flint and a piece of steel, striking them sharply together tiny sparks flew forth but no answering crackle resounded from the wood and paper although the sparks darted in and out among them like miniature fireflies once more miss mcmurtry tried her flint and steel according to the prescribed rules but again the result was failure of course matches were not a luxury at sunrise camp and in the making of their daily fires the campers were not superior to the using of them. But this lighting of their first real council fire was to be a truly important ceremony, and greatly the members desired to return to the primitive method of fire-making. There must be something more than superstition in the old axiom that the third time is charm. Perhaps three efforts are required for the training of the human will, but however that may be, At the third striking together of the metal and the flint, the sunrise council fire sprang into life. Stick by stick it blazed forth, until at last a tongue of flame, leaping up in the air, encircled the whole pyramid, setting the pine logs into a splendid flare. On ten different faces it shone, revealing as many characters, when seated in Indian fashion on straw mats upon the ground, the campfire girls now repeated in unison their ode to fire. Oh, fire! Long years ago, when our fathers fought with great animals, you were their protection. From the cruel cold of winter, you saved them. When they needed food, you changed the flesh of beasts into savoury meat for them. During all the ages, your mysterious flame had been a symbol to them for spirit. So, tonight, we light our fire in remembrance of the great spirit who gave you to us. Then Polly, slowly arose from her place, approached the flames and cast upon them a great bunch of sweet dried grass. A moment later, the rising smoke filled the air with an odor like incense. But the chief feature of tonight's ceremony was to be the elevation of Esther Clark to the rank of firemaker. For three months had she been working to gain the 14 necessary requirements and the 20 elective honours. Yet now, as the moment for receiving her reward drew near, she felt a strong disposition to run away. Betty must have guessed her feeling, for at the critical moment she slipped her arm through the older girls, smiling at her, and pressing her hand encouragingly don't be foolish and don't be frightened esther she whispered encouragingly for you are only to receive the honor that is your just due curious how often in the years that would follow these same simple words of betty's were to be repeated in almost the same form to the girl now seated at her side seeing that esther was too timid to approach the center of the circle alone betty accompanied her standing a little to one side while esther in order to show her complete understanding of the whole campfire idea repeated once again in her low beautiful voice almost her only attraction at the time of her life the fire maker's desire the same verse she had recited to betty ashton over her own fire on the day of their first meeting in the ashton home then miss mcmurtry slipped over to esther's head a string of twenty shining beads representing her new honours and amid much clapping of hands from this small audience the two girls returned to their places esther wondering if she were not almost as happy in betty's companionship as in her new title for remember she had never had any intimate tie in her life, no father or mother, no sisters or brothers, and only the care and kindness of strangers, until Miss McMurtry had made of her a friend. All this time, Polly O'Neill has been vainly trying to pretend that she is devoutly interested in what is taking place, although anyone knowing her would have understood that Polly's real attention was absorbed in the feature of the council fire ceremony, in which she, too, was playing the leading role. Now, without further delay, and followed by Meg, Eleanor, Beatrice, and the faithful Sylvia, she disappeared into the pine grove, not far from the gathering of the council, while the remaining girls and their guardian drew nearer to their own fire, heaping it with fresh pine branches and by and by from the edge of the trees the same notes from the reed-like whistle that had called betty to her place in the ceremony of peace now about to take place were repeated then along a white path of moonlight in the indian costumes the five girls led by polly swaying her pipes of peace slowly above her head came dancing with a queer rhythmical movement of their bodies arms and feet a strange spectacle for these modern days, and yet many such an Indian dance had taken place in these same New England hills hundreds of years before, and they drew near enough to be plainly seen by the little party waiting in their earth lodge. Betty got up from her place, lifting on high a fluttering white handkerchief tied to a birch pole. In the old days, There were always two parties to this ancient Indian ceremony of peace. Those bringing the Calumets were called the Fathers, and those receiving them, the Children. So it was necessary that Betty should now indicate that the Children were willing to receive the blessing the other party desired to bring. The five visiting girls stood facing those seated on the ground polly standing before their guardian and stool waving her blue and green perforated sticks made a carefully memorized speech with the dramatic intensity dear to her theatrical soul these pipes of peace once symbolized heaven and earth to the indians and the mysterious power that permeates all nature in their presence the indians were taught to care for their children to think of the future welfare of their people, and to live at peace with one another. The Indians were supposed to be a savage race, and yet their prayer seems to come very near to the ideals of the campfire girls. May we also live in peace with one another, learning from the women of the past all that was best in their lives, and refitting it to the needs of the now women of today and tomorrow then at the end of her invocation she moved quietly from one campfire girl to the other waving her blessing of peace over each bowed head and as she moved she sang the indian song of peace the other girls straightway joining in but it was not polly's voice but esther's that carried the music of the refrain far out over the fields carried it at last to the ears of someone who had been seeking the home of the sunrise camp For the past two hours. Down through the ages, vast on wings strong and true, from great Wakonda comes good will to you, peace that shall here remain. End of chapter eleven, recording by Sahayon.